Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. I'm Dr. Sonny Spira, still filling in for Dr. Drew Burns and having some fun along the way. So I've got to meet some great people and today is no exception. I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Dr. David Esham. Uh, Dr. David Esham is in my generation. He's an 85 graduate of the University of Pacific School of Dentistry and University of Denver undergrad where he got a BS in business administration, hotel restaurant management, where I'm gonna ask him a few questions about that because I find that fascinating. He is in private fee-for-service practice in San Diego, California, which is just like upstate New York, if you visited either place, weather-wise, we all know that, yeah. and has been fee-for-service from 1985 to present. So he has walked the walk, he talks the talk, he is a uh, accredited member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, Spear Study Club, World Clinical Laser Institute Cosmetic Dentistry Advisor. World Congress of Minimally Invasive Dentistry, Cosmetic Dentistry Advisor. And we're going to talk about that topic, I think, as we go along the cosmetic dentistry aspect, because he knows his stuff. And I can't wait to get some beautiful nuggets. Um, and he's got a long thing. We'll put it all on the uh, on our show notes and, you know, in terms of many, many, many uh, things that he has presented and papers and et cetera, et cetera. But let's welcome Dr. David Esham. Welcome, David. Thank you, Sonny. I appreciate being on the show and I appreciate being part of this group for, that uh, advocates fee-for-service dentistry. So I appreciate what, what, you're, what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And we got we to gotta give it to Drew because Drew is the one that came up with this baby on his own because quite honestly, there were people out there who didn't even know what fee-for-service was let alone that it existed. And, uh, and Tony Cruz McLeod, he's talked about it. He's said several times, like, what is fee for service? And then once he found out about it, that's what he pursued. So uh, I think it's been very interesting, especially in the, in the sort of coming out of the pandemic that people started really looking at what were they getting and what were they giving? Like, what were they giving up for what were they were getting? So 
um, I think it's kind of taken a new, uh, a new uh, twist on things and right reinvented an old concept. Um, so let's talk a little bit about talk about let's talk first. Let's just get right into college, University of Denver. What what uh, excited you about hotel restaurant management? How did you get into that field? Well, my my father had had been owned business when I since I was young, and he owned a meat business, and then eventually got into restaurants and owned a couple three four restaurants. And so I worked in that and really enjoyed it, enjoyed the people, enjoyed talking to people, enjoyed helping people. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, that's graduating high school. I think I'll, uh, I'll study this a little bit more and then come back to the family business. And the University of Denver has a hotel restaurant management school that's uh, well-recognized throughout the country. And it also happens to have skiing. So uh, I decided to go to University of Denver and um, get my education there, along with uh, skiing it quite a bit, to be honest with you. And uh, shortly after graduating that, I went to work, not with my father, but up in Seattle for Weston Hotels and um, got a little disenchanted in the way I was treated there. And so came back to the family, as a lot of sons do, and started working with my father in the restaurant business. Uh, I opened a new restaurant for him and managed it for about uh, a year and then soon became disenchanted with the business because of the hours you have to put in uh, and the amount of time it, it takes uh, as a manager or owner uh, and not being able to go on vacation during vacation times because those are your busiest times. And so I went to my dad one day and I said, dad, I, you know, I, I love you and I, I, I admire your business, but this isn't going to be for me for the rest of my life. And so I think I want to go back to school to get my master's in business. And he stopped me real quick and he goes, son, have you ever thought about being a dentist? And so, uh, so I said, no, dad. And he goes, well, you know, dentists, you know, they only work four days a week and you know what, they're doctors <laughs> and you know, they don't nobody dies on it on them that's right <laughs> typically so i i think my father was actually going through periodontal treatment at the time and so he kind of got that vibe from the periodontist that was treating him but um so i i you know i checked it out i went to my family dentist and i looked at it and was there 10 15 times the gentleman uh dr carpenter was very nice to me and welcomed me all all along and and uh, communicated with me, but I, I soon discovered that dentistry is just like restaurants. If you serve a good product and you treat people well, they'll come back and they'll send their friends. And so, uh, but it's four days a week and has a much better, uh, you have a flexible schedule, you could own your own business. And so that's when dentistry became for me. And uh, I've done it since, as you said, 85. And I've enjoyed it. And, and I feel like I don't work. I feel like it's a hobby. And I just love what I do and love learning more and more, uh, even after 30 plus years. When you do what you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. I, I fully agree with that. So yeah. I, I just I'm, I, I love the concept of the background in the service industry. So you know, you talked a little bit. Well, what are some of the real subtle things? Because you 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 grew up in it, so you're immersed in that culture. Talk about some of the subtle things, or maybe some of the conversations that you had at home with your dad or your or your family about those type of 
uh, interactions, like talk about maybe a disappointed interaction. How do you handle the unhappy customer? And, and talk about how some of that relates to dentistry, because that's gotta, I, I gotta believe that puts you way ahead of the game because your ability to see that already. Uh, I agree, uh, Sonny. Some people think, oh, well, you kind of took a detour and then you found out you didn't like it. You know, are you a little uh, aggravated by that? And I go, no, I'm so glad I did that because yeah. I so much appreciate what we have as a dentist right? compared to a restaurant owner who has competition across the street next door um, for, and anybody can get into it. There's no hurdle or wall to go over in order to become a restaurant owner but at least in dentistry you have to have a license and then um to be yeah so i appreciate i appreciate learning the business and i appreciate it that way so that's why i take it to my dental office and never take anything for granted but you know when when someone's not happy with the meal you know usually the manager has to go over and discuss it with them and, and then you just make it right and you don't you don't worry about the cost and uh, you just get, uh, you know, you replace it or you give them a, a free meal next time or you send them a dessert or buy them a drink. You just want to make it right. And so uh, I learned from my father is that, like, if someone's angry, if you can just get it to a neutral place, then they're not going to go outside and, and talk to, you know, 20, 25 friends about what a bad experience they have. Um, and so you just kind of neutralize and it and it relates to, you know, reviews nowadays, right? In dentistry is that, exactly. you know, when someone's not happy, even if 100%. you don't feel they're right, and you did your best, and you know, it's just the circumstance, you just have to make it right. And that's what I do in my dental office, uh, to neutralize a negative experience, whether it's my fault or not, or whether it's manufactured in the patient's head or not, you just make it right, and then just kind of move on and and try to generate great experiences for everybody else and not let that person bring you down, you know, not let, not let that experience bring you down. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Yeah, and, and being in that culture, that's, to me, that's just, that's going to become, right. You're, you're a service guy. Like you're going to be in the service industry and, and, and all that learning and all that knowledge, like you said, it wasn't a detour. It was part of your education to further you to where you are today, put you there faster. Correct. It's fascinating. I I just remember when we, when we built our first office and we relocated out of a, well, it was a basement of a raised ranch and we re- relocated a couple miles down the road. We, we moved everything and we had equipment and a compressor and stuff. And I just remember being disappointed with how it was handled by the supply company. And I remember talking to the supply company owner at that time it was Jeff Leventhal's Leventhal and Sons, which has now uh, been become Patterson. Um, but I remember talking to him and I was like, he, he, he was, he was listening to everything I said. And he says, how can we make this right? And I, I was like, kind of threw me off. He said, and he just flat out said, what, what, what would you like to do? You know, what, what's, what do you, what do you see? He goes, cause I, you make an offer. I make an offer. That's, it, you know, and you're not happy with it. You tell me what you want and we'll make it happen. And, and just like you just said, make it right. 
just if you could summarize how to handle interactions is make it right and you just got to do what you got to do to make it right there's there's so much defending and, and you once you become defensive it's 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 you're going to make the other person become defensive and it's a lose-lose situation and like you Absolutely. said you're looking for neutral ground and that is that's a learned skill how did you learn that skill did you learn it did you have to you well you ran that one restaurant you had to you had to do it yourself but you had to watch your father talk about how you incorporated that well you know again you know watching my father and learning from the the people that were, you know, I was a bus boy, I was a dishwasher, I was a waiter, you know, I was everything. And so just watching that, but, you know, and, uh, the other half of where I learned this too, is actually from my wife, who, uh, when I graduated dental school, she went to work for Nordstrom, and she went on the sales floor, learned the sales floor, and then became a manager. And uh, she, you know, brought a ton of knowledge of Nordstrom knowledge. I mean, before people knew who Nordstrom was. They were just in Seattle, you know? And uh, she brought a ton. And, and I was really lucky when we opened our, when I opened, when I say we opened our practice, my wife came with me because she left Nordstrom at the time and she ran the front. And that's the attitude she taught and did up there. And I learned the clinical and that was my attitude. And then she said, Dave, there's a line right here between the operatories and the front office. And if there's a front office issue, you know, it's mine and I'll handle it. Don't you get involved with it. And I won't pass the line and go back in the clinical and tell you how to handle things. And so I, I felt lucky uh, to have her too set up basically the business systems and the service systems in the front. And so uh, between my father and restaurants and my wife and Nordstrom, um, that's where my attitude and still comes. And so I know it's so hard for practitioners out there. If you are being squeezed by fees, you're being squeezed by insurance companies to sit there and say, okay, no, I'll do it again for you. I'll pay a new lab fee. I just want to make this right for you. It's hard when your profit margins are low, but when your profit margins are fair, like they are in fee-for-service dentistry, uh, it's still not easy, but it's something you can do and feel good about and make and know you did the right thing, whether the patient, uh, you know, sends other patients or not. I think it's a great point. And I think, boy, I, boy, I, I just listening to you. I mean, your background and then your wife's background, you could really, you could set up your own Institute. I mean, literally on how to run, I mean, honest to goodness. I mean, that's the best of everything really, in my opinion to how to run a successful service business is take care of the customer, take care of the customer, take care of the customer. I mean, I, I mean, we could, and I know the top of our podcast, we're going to hit on some of that, but that's to me is just fascinating. Uh, so you get it when you get into dental school, right? So did you have to go do some, some, some more coursework to change from your, you know, to get to some of the prerequisites? How did, how did that step next step happen? Um, as after that discussion I said with my father, I, uh, uh, I went to kind of a, a two-thirds time working for him. And then I went to the local um, state college, Cal State Fullerton, and I jumped into doing some basic sciences and just took sciences for a year and a half to, you know, get the, the requisites to apply for dental school. And it was a different experience going back to college then, 
because when I when I was undergraduate at University of Denver, I did okay, but you know I wasn't like a study bug, and I wasn't like a straight A student. But I knew when I went back to Cal State Fullerton that that's going to be required at a dental school. But I also had this passion, this this goal, this thing to be a dentist. And so when I went in there with those 18-year-old and 19-year-old brainiacs and mm-hmm. chemistry and biology and organic chemistry, you know, I, I was focused. And so I did not get distracted, you know, uh, fortunately, you know, because I'd already kind of done the college thing. And um, I scored well. And, and it's nice to know that I could do that because I sure, certainly didn't do that kind of those kind of grades when I was undergrad for business. And so, uh, so I scored well, applied, and then fortunately the University of Pacific um, uh, uh, accepted me because I know how hard it is to get into dental school these days because I help a lot of students do that uh, at, a, at UCSD. So how did that, so you went from, okay, dad, I'm not gonna do this. He says, why don't you do dentistry? How did that, and then you said you went to visit your dentist. Your passion, your fire must have been lit, right? Because you said you were laser focused. So talk about how, how talk, just talk about that creation of that burning desire. Well, you know, maybe I have a, uh, a problem, a personality problem, but <laughs> I, I, I like to be liked. Okay. You know, I, I really get a thrill out of being liked. That's Dennis. And I get, probably didn't know that then, but when Dr. Carpenter had me in his office and the way he treated people and how gentle he was with them, he was a big man. He actually played football at University of Utah, but he was uh, just this gentle giant. And he, the way he did injections were painless and the way he talked to people and had explained things to them. And then I saw how much they liked him. And how those people liked him so much that they sent patients, more patients to him because, you know, most every other dentist had hurt them. Uh, and so uh, that's what lit my fire. It's awesome. Being liked. And then later on, after just being liked is being able to satisfy and have somebody really leave happy with a great smile and a healthy mouth. Uh, that's really what lights my fire now. It went from there being liked to feeling fulfilled because you help somebody, you know, feel better about themselves, be healthier and go on with their life to Mm -hmm. accomplish things that they want to accomplish because they feel confident in themselves. Okay. That's awesome. So that's a wonderful role model. There's no question about it. And yeah, uh, he, he was an amazing man. Did he, did uh, I, I'm gonna sorry I'm gonna jump off topic, but did he did he remain like a mentor to you after the? Um, not not much after dental school. Uh, after dental, you know, I went to dental school in San Francisco. This was in Los Angeles where I grew up. And when I came and I came back, um, he uh, we interacted and and that and actually you know I sh- I should maybe take that back slightly. He allowed me to rent space in his office the times he wasn't there. So yes, he was a mentor to me in that sense. Um, And then uh, I went off and um, worked as an associate and then uh, bought into a partnership and then eventually bought my own practice in San Diego um, and lost contact with him. But I I saw him maybe 10 or 15 years later 
and gave him a big hug and told him what he meant to me. And, um, and he, he was, he was doing well and it's good to see him. Okay. Now when you're in dental school, as you're learning the various curriculum that we all learn, was there any one or two things that really, you know, became more pet, like more of your passion? You know, I, I've just run into a lot of dumb luck, you know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, great parents, you know, great learning experience with the restaurants. Uh, uh, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, I, I met my wife. Um, and then when I went to dental school, there's the dean is Art Dagoni. And he's the father of the humanistic teaching uh, philosophy throughout dental school. And so instead of being treated like a peon, a private, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like that in dental school, like a lot of other people had, we were treated like people, like doctors, and we were taught to be positive in, in, in the way we discussed things with each other. And the faculty there were positive in the way they corrected us. They were hard on us, and, and it was not easy there, but they never made you feel small, and they always gave you a way to improve. And it was just a matter of, it was up to you whether you wanted to go through the efforts and put in the time to get better but you specifically knew what you needed to do to get better. And you never felt like you were uh, uh, something less than a, than a person because you didn't perform a great DO uh, amalgam prep, you know? So, so, so humanistic, humanistic training at, at, uh, at UOP and then the opportunity for leadership while I was there in terms of uh, serving as class president, serving with CDA representatives, and serving in the alumni association later uh, really helped me in my leadership skills and interacting with older dentists and and how they ran their practice and some of the tips they've given me um, you know stuck with me for years. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. So our topic our topic today is going fee for service in 2021 and getting a little feel from Dr. David. It's, it's, it's very, to me, the picture is very colored in right now. I feel, I feel very confident of having a, at least a, a, an understanding of, of your perspective, which is, I think is just, you couldn't script it any better. I think it's wonderful. Um, So let's talk about going fee for service in 2021. What are some of the things I know you said you work with younger dentists getting into younger people going to dental school, younger dentists, et cetera. Let's, let's start right from the ground floor. Let's, let's get started right on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people out there are, uh, are listening to this podcast and interacting with your Facebook group um, because maybe they're not as happy as they could be in dentistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're disappointed in the fees that insurance companies um, basically dictate to them. And uh, maybe they're not that happy with dentistry, doing dentistry under those circumstances. So um, the reason for fee-for-service dentistry is, is basically for freedom, you know, freedom to do what we are taught and freedom to do the right thing for our patients without having someone tell you how much of it you can do or how much you get paid for it to do it. And so 
I worked as you, as I said, I worked as an associate for a while. And, um, you know, a lot of times I was walking into an operatory and all I knew was I was treating tooth number 29. I had no idea what the patient's name was, uh, a lot, you know, maybe I know their health history, but I, you know, I don't know if they have a family. I don't know any of that stuff just because I was popping from room to room. And, and, and I see that happening and I hear younger dentists talking to me about that in, in the environment there is now. So what fee-for-service means is to, to be free to be the doctor and then to be compensated appropriately, not overcompensated, but not definitely not undercompensated as, as, as could be with, with some insurance issues. So um, to do fee-for-service in 2021, you know, you have to put together a lot of things. You can't just open an office and put FFS on the outside and expect people to come to you. You have to bring uh, a lot of education. You have to work harder. You have to treat people better. You have to think about service as much as you think about clinical dentistry. And then you have to have a unique proposition. That unique proposition is why should this person come to you and pay more and not go down the street and stay in network with some de other dentist. And, and you have to, the patient has to know what your unique proposition is, and then they have to value that proposition. And for me, it is minimally invasive cosmetic dentistry, meaning I'm gonna think about their tooth as something that is precious and priceless, and so I'm not going to take away any of that tooth structure unless there's no other choice. And so when I do a filling, it's minimally invasive. When, when I do my composite dentistry, it's minimally invasive. When I show them what a smile makeover looks like done in a minimally invasive way, they know about that. And uh, so that's my unique proposition is minimally invasive cosmetic dentistry. So some people it's implants, you know, some people it's restorative. Some people, it's dentures, but you have to have a unique proposition. And so I think that's very important. What are your thoughts with that, Sonny? Well, I think, I think you know who you are. I think that's something that a lot of young dentists and dentists, I think, struggle with, um, especially with the outside social media influences of, oh, I, you know, I dropped these 18 implants yesterday and I did this. And you know, it, it, but who are you? What do you stand for? I mean, you clearly articulated it's th this is who you stand for. My, my question is along the lines of minimally invasive dentistry. How do you explain that to a patient? Well, you know, as you've, you've pointed out in multiple other uh, podcasts here, you know, communicating to the patients is, is of the utmost. And, and I'm not a great communicator. You can hear all the uhs and ahs and all that in my speaking. But when I'm in an operatory with a patient and I've taken extra oral photos of them, and as part of their exam, I go over those extra oral photos of them and show them what I see. You know, I'm kind of like the expert commentator on an NFL broadcast. You know, I know what teeth look like, what they should look like, what a wear pattern is, um, you know, recession. And then I can communicate that in the, without words, just by showing them their pictures. Mm -hmm. And so when you show people extra pictures of their mouth and you go over the ins and outs of their mouth, 
they see you as someone that they can believe in and they can trust. And so doing that and developing trust is the utmost importance mm -hmm. in a fee-for-service practice. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have time to do that because you're rushed, yeah. because you need to squeeze more patients in because your fees are low, then you need to step back and slow down and then I know for sure if you spend the time communicating with your patients, you're going to speed up. Right. Slow down and speed up. It's a good concept. I think, you know, to, I think you're beating yourself up a tad. I, I will, uh, I will come in to defend you a little bit. Uh, um, in, in your conversation, it's authentic. Um, and, and I, and I've just met you. Uh, we have, we've had a couple of email exchanges. We talked for about five or 10 minutes prior, but you are the real deal. So it's authentic. So that's a, I think that's a huge component, but like you said, if you don't have the time and what you're showing them in the pictures and what you're communicating to them verbally, non-verbally, uh, and, and expressions, I think if you're too polished, it's too slick, you know, it's, it's not authentic. Um, I, you know, I've, I've done a few things with different speaking people and they're all, it's, it's like they're staging it and, I just feel that it's got to come from right from your soul, right from your heart. And with that comes a couple things that are just not perfect, but it's authentic. It's a co compassion and care. So um, kudos. I, I can, I can get a sense in, in what 30 minutes that, that, you know, that you have those absolutely qualities that come through loud and clear. Uh, have you taken, other educational courses helping you out with some of those communication things that are maybe not dentistry per se, that are maybe Nordstrom's or anything about leadership or commu just communicating, understanding another person's fears, anxieties, uh, you know, or, or just how do you connect, right? Yeah, you know, um, I, you know I, I, I listen to books a lot, uh, but early on in my career, you know, it was, um, putting the money out there to have a dental consultant come into my office. Um, one of the ones that I used was uh, Bill Blatchford. Uh -huh. And, you know, uh, I love Bill and he taught me a ton. Uh, he taught me not to be afraid to talk about money and uh -huh. to tell the patient the full fee. There were things that, you know, I don't follow, but that's probably the biggest thing I learned from him is, Hey, you know, I'm sorry, this doesn't cost, this is $25,000. What do you think? Then you just shut up. Mm -hmm. And then you leave it quiet, leave it uncomfortable and let the patient talk because they're going to talk about what they're thinking. And then from there, you can explain why what you're talking to them about is valuable to them and get over that hurdle they might have and let them know that, you know, Yes, you know, you can't fix one tooth at a time. You're going to need to fix four or five or six in order to take care of this problem. And so this is what it costs. And um, so that was one thing. Uh, consultants helped me a lot. I also went to Spear and did hit their full curriculum and not only learned about clinical dentistry and become confident in my di diagnosis uh, in dentistry, but uh, learned how to present. Uh, learned how, what to talk about with that extra oral pictures, learned about occlusion, uh, learned about things that give me confidence. So when I talk to a patient 
you know, they see it as somebody that knows what they're talking about and is sincere about it. And I can talk about, you know, as you've heard over and over again, the what you see, you know, what the consequences of doing nothing are and what your solution is. And, and, the, and teaching me to let that process go through. Don't go straight to the solution. Go to the problem. Go to the consequence. And then at the end, give them the solution so that the patient takes it in and, and it, it is theirs. It's not your projecting something on them. Talk about that because I think that's, that's a key point. A patient comes in, 90% of the time has no idea, quote, that they have a problem. Unless of course it's emergency or something like that, some some that's right. just that just slaps you in the face. That's that's a no brainer. But that person. So how how did you learn to get the patient to understand that they have a need? Because then you're going to make that need become a want. But how how did you get them to understand that they have a need? Okay, so you are, we've already talked about the photos. So they see. <laughs> And they, a lot of times, think things are much worse than sometimes they really are. Mm -hmm. But they see, they've never seen their teeth like that before. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might be 40 years old and they think they know everything about themselves, but they've never seen their teeth like that before. So that, the pictures, and then uh, pointing out the problems and not, again, you know, I, I teach cosmetic dentistry residents not going to the solution. Here's the problem, you know, here's the problem, here's the problem. And looking at their face and getting their input and seeing what they say, and then they want to get a solution, but not really giving them the solution till you've discussed all the problems. And then talk about the consequence of doing nothing, uh, not scaring them, you know, not threatening them that you're gonna have this tooth extracted if you don't fix it tomorrow, but showing them that you know this has happened over time and now it needs some help um, and, and how doing it together uh, on an arch or together in a quadrant is to their benefit because otherwise you're making something new fit something that is all worn and torn. So uh, just going through the problem, uh, letting them feel it, talk about some consequences and then at the end going, here's what I think could work for you. Uh, this is the ideal situation. Here's a less ideal situation. So I give them two possibilities and, and I talk about them as possibilities. And then say, this is the information I'm giving you. I, I think it's the best information possible. Tell me what you would like to do. I think the most important thing is the first part. I, I, I don't want to gloss over that because I think that's something Josh Bernstein and I kind of talk all the time about is option one, you can do nothing. And you go into detail in terms of doing nothing. Then this is, you kind of, you kind of outline the path, right? Correct. And Correct. I, I don't think that can be discounted because I, I mean, there's no pressure. You can do nothing. You're alive. Mm -hmm. You're not going to die. I mean, right. You know, like, that's a no pressure sales, really. That's here you go. But I think yeah. we, we don't oftentimes, I think we discount that right away. Well, you could do root canal or you can, or you can take tooth out. You can also do nothing, you know, but what brought you in was a toothache. 
So, you know, doing nothing, that's the path that goes. You want to go down that path? No, I don't. That's why I'm here. Okay. You know, that becomes, you know, undiscussed, but it's understood. But now the person who doesn't have pain or what have you, or, you know, a broken front tooth. Okay. Now you have that conversation, but I, I do think that's a, that's a missed, uh, a missed pearl many times. So, yeah. And, and it, in, and it has, it happens a lot when you want to do cosmetic dentistry, you know? So again, I'm a cosmetic dentist. People come for me uh, for cosmetic dentistry, but you know, sometimes their teeth are beautiful and they're structurally sound, but they might be crowded or they might be overlapped or there might be a deep bite and a lot of wear. And so that's where, you know, hey, you can do nothing or you can do almost nothing by doing something like Invisalign Mm -hmm. to make your teeth look better, Mm -hmm. whiten them, straighten them and get a better bite. There's nothing better than that. You can get a smile that looks like veneers with your own teeth if you don't mind putting nine or 12 months into doing something like Invisalign. And so that's one of our options is we go from minimally and the most minimally invasive, nothing. Maybe we go to whitening, but usually that's not enough either because they've already tried that. But Invisalign is a great or orthodontics, however you want to do it, is a great next step. And so I don't know how many patients I've talked out of doing porcelain veneers and into doing something like Invisalign. Perfect. That's abs- uh, and, and it fits, right? That's what you're talking about. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Minimally invasive, which is where you like to live, right? You said Correct. that. And then you have, you can go into the other extreme. So, but you know, it's a patient's patient has to be aware of what their choices are. So if you're, Correct. let's talk about, I'm sitting here, I'm a young dentist, I'm in a associateship and I'm thinking of, okay, Maybe I don't have an associateship in fee-for-service, or maybe I want to buy a practice. Talk directly to me. What would some of the thoughts, what would you express to me as that person? You know, I'm not, but although if I were, <laughs> what would your advice and what were some of the things that you would be sharing with me? Um, well, I would share with you to, you know, that there is a, a possible better way if you don't mind putting some work in and some investment in. And that would be into continuing education. Great. Uh, again, I've talked about it. For me, it was fear. Other people, it's Koi. Some people, it's Dawson. Some people, it's Panky. But if you get into that group, you're mm-hmm. going to meet some people that care about uh, quality dentistry and, and know how to present it and know how to show, communicate the value to patients. So when we're presenting this, wait, wait, dentistry, hold on. I want to emphasize that communicate the value to patients. I, 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 I'm sorry. I love that term. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Not at all. Had to say it again. I think that's huge. Please. Sorry. Sorry. I agree. You know, besides developing trust with the patient is communicating value to a patient is secondary. And once they see the value of it, they're going to say yes. If they don't see the value of it, you don't want them to do it anyways. But if Perfect. you go to those type of educational pl- programs, you're going to meet some other people. Uh, if you can't get mentored by somebody in your area, there'll be somebody there that would very would love to mentor you. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And then I would, from there, I would look about, once I'm educated and feel confident in my diagnosis, you go back to your associateship, maybe you can't do all the stuff that they're talking about there, but at least you know about it. You know, I would ask maybe the doctor, if you can take on a case, you know, that, that you with a special patient to do that kind of stuff, get some comfort with it. And then if it were me, I would look to buy a practice because then I can change the environment in which patients experience dentistry. I can change how they're spoken to on the phone. I can change how they feel when they walk in. I can change the whole new patient exam, new patient experience for them when they come in. And I would take a practice that's doing well and it could be taking insurance as all that. And then I'd slowly get my confidence up, slowly get my team going, slowly get my presentation skills going. And then I would think about dropping some of the insurances that might already be involved in that practice in a controlled manner, in a smart manner. Mm -hmm. That's what I would tell somebody if they're so associate you, if they wanted to go there. Taking control of your environment, that's a huge step. That's a huge step, no doubt about it. Now, now you have, as I like to say, if I'm going down the toilet, I want my hand on the flusher. So <laughs> I, I, I do like I do like that ability. Um, but you know, how about how about the person? Talk to the person who maybe doesn't have the personality to be the driver of the bus. Mm -hmm. how, how does that person go into that area that you're talking about? Um, they can maybe take a job as a bartender part-time and learn how to talk with people. No, I'm just using, uh, <laughs> because you, if you're a bartender, you learn how to talk to everybody, but right? sometimes you talk to them too like much. Psychologist. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, you know, that's hard because you know, maybe you don't have the personality, but you need to develop the leadership skills. Leadership. To be able to, be able to hire somebody that does. But I, it, it, it's, it's a harder road, I would think, Sonny, if you don't have the personality or even worse, you don't have the work, work ethic. You know, because it's not easier to be a fee-for-service dentist. Right. It, but it, it's but it, harder. But I will say, though, if you have the passion to change your environment, right? Because that's mm -hmm. what you're talking about. And the passion to do it. And then you recognize, okay, I don't have some of these skills. And you said it right away. Hire the person that can, that can be that for you. I think you're going to create, if you, as, long, as long as you have that burning desire and passion to do it, I think it's possible. I think you're going to have to spend some more time getting comfortable, maybe being uncomfortable, but getting comfortable in the driver's seat. Because at times, there's nobody else, right? Your hands mm -hmm. on the flusher. You got you to gotta be it. Although right. you can design your office and your business systems, right, to be set up so that, okay, this personality style fits here, this personality's here, and we work together as a team, and each of us functions, but at the end of the day, that patient unhappy, whatever you, you have to answer the call. So talk about some of the leadership development skills that you've been a part of or learned, or you impart when other people talk about that. Cause that's huge. Um, well, again, just learning management stuff, you know, which is a lower level, but, you know, learn management stuff in, um, in undergraduate learning management stuff 
with the dental consultants and going to classes and as I said, through SPEAR and then through the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, serving as a leader in a society, dental society or academy like I did, you know, you, you learn your leadership skills, your organizational skills and your communication skills too. And so uh, I've exposed myself to that and I would recommend other people do the same because you'll get to follow leaders in that dental society or whatever it might be and then you'll get to be the leader if you aspire to do that in that dental society or academy whatever it might be and then you'll have something to take back to your office and you'll get these nuggets of either what people did or how you saw them behave in those leadership positions and then you'll be able to you don't have to be you know the uh the tom brady of of dental practice, you just have to be the right person in that practice among those five or six, seven people you work with. Yeah. And you, those are the only people you need to lead. You don't have to lead a whole football team or a whole organization. As a dentist, we, ha we have this small little microcosm that we can be the person. And yeah. if you are that person and you show up every day and you show that you care for patients and you wanna treat them the best they can be treated, that stuff's gonna flow on to your team and they're gonna admire you for that. But if you're the person that comes in late and wants everything done for them, you know, you're yeah. not gonna be you're not gonna be respected as a leader and they're not gonna go through the difficult conversations they have to go through yeah. to talk to patients and inspire patients to come see you. Well, if you're not willing to do it yourself, you can't expect someone else to do it. That's you know, like, so if you're not there and you said it earlier too, one of the comments you made, you have to have the work ethic. And, you know, I'm sure in growing up in the restaurant, you understand work ethic from your family, Correct. roots, et cetera. Uh, I think, um, talk about, I don't want, I'm going to leave this topic in one second, but when you stepped into leadership roles in major groups, right? You were mm -hmm. president of your club. You said your, your dental school class, um, the, you know, your, 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 your role in the American Academy of the cosmetic dentistry, you were stepping out of your comfort zone. Like when you took these roles, you weren't saying, oh, I'm ready to be a leader. So you, did you challenge yourself or did you see, okay, this is something that I want to do that I'm going to, you learn from, and I'm going to bring, like you said, you brought these things back. Talk about just getting out of that comfort zone. Cause I think that's where learning happens, but go ahead. Um, yeah, so in dental school, got exposure, and then I was the president of the alumni association of our dental school, uh, you know, maybe seven, 10 years later. But when I got into the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry and joined as they call us a general, general dentist, mm -hmm. there was a system of credentialing. Uh, the first credential you can get from the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry is accreditation. And then the second credential you can get is fellowship. And so when I joined that as a general member, um, you know, I was in awe of some of these people. I mean, there was Bill Dickerson, there was Hornbrook, there was Rosenthal. There are the, some very big names in cosmetic dentistry uh, in that organization. And so an opportunity came up, they allowed uh, general members 
which was me because I wasn't accredited or fellowed to be on the board. And so I ran for the board. And so I was the first general member uh, on the board of directors. And basically I came into that group and was humble and listened and asked questions and then gave my input when I thought it was appropriate because they wanted general members opinions and um, learn from them. And it was kind of nice because this was before uh, podcasts and before Zoom and all these things. And that we would go to dinner after our meetings and I'd be able to sit down with these people and ask them about how they develop their practice and listen to them. And, and, and I learned so much from that. But nowadays we have that with podcasts just what you're doing in discussing and explaining your success with fee-for-service dentistries. And so I, I really, every time I listen to podcasts, I think, well, God, this is just kind of like those dinners. I got to go with those people. And so I served 10 years in the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, and I got to meet a lot of people and go to dinner with a lot of people. And then also, you know, become the chairman of the professional education committee and put on the AACD's, um, you know, annual meeting. And so it, I just learned from dishwasher to yeah. busboy to waiter, you know, to restaurant owner. And I did the same thing with the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry to develop and learn and become a better leader. And so that's what I did. And that's what I would suggest to other people is get involved. And then, as you say, get out of your comfort zone and become a committee head or become a leader in some way in that association that you have passion for. Because I had a passion for cosmetic dentistry and I wanted to get better and better at it and do more and more of it. And uh, that's, I just dove right into my passion. Yeah. And I think, well, first of all, as an Italian, a lot of things happen around the food table. I can tell you that. So, <laughs> so I, I miss that. And I, I, I'm looking forward to getting back in that vibe, you know, with that, like I, I talked to someone, I went to a class with Gordon Christensen's and uh, uh, it was probably developed about two years ago now. And, and in the class, you know, staying at the hotel, I met a lot of the other dentists that were there. And it's, it's so, so many things happen outside of the clinical setting, let's say the learning setting that are learning experiences you don't even realize. And like you said, you're having dinner and you're rubbing elbows and you're learning and talking and listening and, and absorbing. And hopefully we're listening more than we're talking, right? And I just find that those experiences are just completely life-changing. And then friendships develop and communicate now to communicate across the country is nothing looking you're sitting in san diego i'm sitting well i'm actually in jersey right now but you know we're having this conversation right it's like, it's like we're sitting right next to each other at a dinner table i mean there's no reason on earth that you cannot have really valuable communications with others and learn from them. and podcasts are a great men, uh, venue to do that but i i do think getting back to the in-person back and forth, you know, CEs is, is just, I can't wait to get going. So, yeah. And that's why I encourage that, you know, the young practitioner to, to get involved with one of those groups, as I mentioned before, and because you're going to meet like-minded dentists. There you go. And uh, you're going to 
you're going to spread uh, great stuff back and forth to each other. And, and, so, uh, and you meet someone who you say, he reminds me of me, you know, or mm -hmm. I see a lot of similarities. Like I'm, I've been talking to you, I see a lot of similarities. I didn't grow up with, you know, I have a restaurant background, but there's just a lot of similarities in, in, in some of the thoughts and, and how you, you shaped some of the things you've done. Now your passion is a little different than mine in, in the, in the operatory, but that's beautiful. You know, that is, that is wonderful. So talk yeah. a little bit more now about, um, let's say that person now is going to, cause you did say look, buying a practice. What would be some of the tips that you would give someone who's looking to buy a practice, albeit a fee for service, albeit a PPO, albeit HMO, whatever, someone looking to buy a practice. Um, well, you know, you have to think about the kind of dentistry you want to do. You know, um, so if you like doing bread and butter dentistry, I'd go to somewhere where um, there's not a lot of dentists and, you know, you can provide that for your patients there. Um, secondarily, uh, you know, so, but if you want to do some uh, implant kind of dentistry or higher end dentistry, then you're going to want to go to an area that at least has a draw of quite a few people around you and the income level to be able to do that kind of thing. But you don't have to be in New York or LA or even San Diego to do you know, a higher end uh, implant practice. I've seen them up in small cities in Oregon that draw from you know, 50 miles around the area once you become known. But you, know, you, you wanna do your business. You wanna do your business analysis and then think about your demographics you know, of the, and that, how that relates to the kind of dentistry you want to do. And then think about where you want to live. And that's what's so nice about being a dentist is that you can make a decision as to where you want to live. Um, and then you can practice somewhere near there. And you have to watch, you know, what you want. Because when you're younger, you know, you might want to be near the city. But as you get older and have a family, you might want, not want to be near the city. So think long-term in terms of where you want to practice because you're usually going to live somewhere near there mm -hmm. and you want it to be a long-term type of thing. But you're, you, uh, you, 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 you hit on it and, and I'm going to bring it back up because I think it's so important is you need to define what you want and who you want to be. Again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, who you are, mm -hmm. like and you said, passion. Right. Yeah. Your bread, you want bread and butter. Then if you're in an underserved area, less competition, what have you, people are going to have more of those needs. You're going to probably, um, you know, be successful faster because there's less there, you know? So, you, you, and then the next part you start talking about was demographics, really like, you know, what's the income level? What's the, you know, <clears throat> what do they call it? The, the, expendable income you know what, what's mm, disposable disposable here we go I hate to use disposable yeah. man but you know <laughs> right disposable yeah <laughs> it's like white strips yeah it's disposable yeah um but you know it's having having that uh having that thought process and uh, you have to start i, I hate to uh, this sounds like steven you have to start with the end in mind if this is what you want mm -hmm. it to be then go find it and, and I, there's no question there's no question in my mind you can find it no doubt yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my son's a first year dental student right now. And um, 
and I just think about him a lot when he's going to get out what his opportunities are. And, um, you know, maybe he wants to, well, maybe he wants to practice with me, but maybe I, I want him to practice with some other people first, Yeah. you know, to kind of learn the ropes and see what else is out there. And then maybe bring some of that to our practice if we decide to practice together, but yeah, do, do, don't jump into something, you know, get, get your feelers out there and, and uh, associate for a while and be, don't worry about, the other thing I'd say is don't worry about what you're being paid. Worry about what you're going to learn. You know, uh, you have plenty of time in your career to earn money, but you got to learn first to be able to earn that money. And so if you're looking for the biggest paycheck when you first get out of dental school, you're going to be working like a dog and nobody's going to spend time with you to teach you anything. Because they figure I'm paying this guy, he needs to do his work. And so sometimes associates come in and I uh, talk to me and talk to my office, they want to work with me. And I go, well, you know, what do you know? And how much time am I going to have to spend with you to learn? And so I'm happy to do that. But I'm not going to pay you top dollar and then have to teach you. Mm -hmm. You know, there has to be something more fair there. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the beginning, less dollar but I'm going to spend time teaching you. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to hire somebody top dollar, I want them to produce. I don't want to have to spend time teaching them. I want to just wind them up and let them go. Mm-hmm. But that's not the kind of person I want to hire. I want to hire somebody that right. wants to learn and I'm, hap- and I'm happy to teach them. And then I want to see them grow. And so that's when their income will grow is when they can do more and, 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 and treat patients well. But look at how easily you explain that, right? On the surface, a person is would would say, "Well, I'm not like I could see that person coming up. Well, he's not going to pay me this, but understand what you were just explained. There's a learning process that you don't appreciate now, but ten years from now you will. Um, and it's you defined it right. I will I will help you teach you, but that's taking that's taking your time and your energy away from what you could be doing." in your practice and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, growing all that. That's something that you're not being paid for, but ultimately you are in a sense that their pay is reduced maybe than what they would make at some factory. Right. Correct. So, but you're going to, and I I get it. I, I, I'm, I'm down with this a hundred percent because you're, you're trying to educate and create a great doctor that wants to learn because a great doctor, as you've said, right, right from the beginning is someone who has that passion also to learn their craft and learn the presentation and learn the diagnosis and learn how to be because you're, I think we graduate with pretty good technical skills. I think some of our doctor skills, the difference between a technician, um, person who could put a denture together and a person who could diagnose, et cetera, and treat the face and the person and the personality is the doctor and then deal with the ramifications if something didn't go perfectly. And, yeah. and I think you really described it very well. And anybody who didn't understand that doesn't belong in your office anyway. So, um, yeah. And, and younger dentists need to understand that, that, okay, you got your dental license. That doesn't mean you make the average of what a dentist should make because you're not an average dentist you know you, you don't know what you what don't you know, know. 
and That's then fair. you <laughs> and you are not an average dentist, you know, until at least I would think at least five or six years out, and that's working really hard. And so realize that and be humble and be a listener and don't know it all and take a position that's going to teach you and the quickest way to be a great doctor. If and, they have uh, a if they have a huge burdensome loan or your debt service, you know, they may have to do something part-time and then do something else like this that would be the benefit down the road, you know, because they might have a higher need-based, you know, coming in. Right. They, they might, but, you know, Sunny, because my son is in dental school, I've learned a lot about student loans. And uh, if the people that have recently graduated and have high student loans don't know this, they should is that there is a program, as long as you have a government student loan, you know, that's important to have a government student loan. It's called income-based repayment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what you make. You're only going to pay 10% of it on your student loans. Mm -hmm. And so you, there's not a big hurry. If you stay in income-based repayment, you don't have to have a big income unless you have a car payment, a house payment, you know, a, a big family, you know, you can take your time and learn it right and build a foundation for you to become the dentist that you want to be by just, even if you have 700,000 in, in loans, you're only going to pay 10% of what you make that year. So that that's a really great gift of the government. It really yeah. is. I think, I think your point though is, and I'm, I've, I've preached this from day one, build your barn first you know, build your mm -hmm. barn first and build your house second. So, you know, do you, you need, you, you need those other things really? No, you have your education. Now go get your lifestyle at your, not your lifestyle, but your life education in your profession. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm on that. All right. So, uh, any, uh, any last thoughts that you want to share? Um, the only thing I'd add to this is that like, uh, by all means, I don't, everything I said is not, the, all the details you need to know if you want to go yeah. fee for service but listening to this podcast you'll slowly get that and you should listen to this if you want to go fee for service you know on as often as you can but the best resource i've seen for going fee for service and and i don't i have nothing positive i'm not getting mm -hmm. paid by this person it would be to look into gary takis who has uh the Thriving Dentist Show podcast. And he also has a part of his dental consulting company that talks about becoming less insurance dependent mm -hmm. and the actual steps to take to do it. And they may not be perfect for you or they may right. not be perfect for everybody, but they're a great foundation, just like Spear and Coyce and Dawson yep. and Panky are to getting there if you want to get there. And, yep. and it does take more work, but if you want to do it, uh, you're going to enjoy a very good dental life. And I am so thankful for my dental life. And I'm so thankful for fee for service and being fee for service that it was well worth my efforts uh, to, to keep it and build it and, and have it the way I have it now. Cause that, it makes me want to do dentistry every day. Cause it's fun yeah. and, and not just do dentistry so I can put enough money away to retire. Right. I don't want to retire. I just want to keep going. Yeah. So that's um, my only, that's my only thing. Check that out. And, and if somebody wants to contact me, uh, feel free to contact me. I'm happy to talk to them about my favorite subjects. 
And that's and that's the beauty. And that's that's truly the beauty, I think, of the fee for service, at least the Facebook po- and then this podcast, really the community of folks that are willing to help. We started doing some Thursday night Facebook live sessions with that whole thought process in mind. That that's wonderful. There's people here that need some support or help, or if nothing else, well, I've I've been down this road. And you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself, you know. Sometimes we've made them for you, so you can you can learn. Um, so I, I appreciate that. And I'm going to put all the stuff, all the stuff I'm not going to. Okay, <laughs> all the <laughs> things, all the things are going to be put into the delegation. That's Very right. Good. Someone is going to do that. Pretty much, it's it's Drew or, or Nick. Nick does a phenomenal job putting this all together, and 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 we'll list it on the show notes. And I'm sure. And just talking with David, you can understand that he has a passion for what he does. And he has a passion for dentistry and for, for dentists in general coming up and seeing that our profession is remains a profession. It doesn't just become a trade, I, I would like to say. So uh, please reach out and you can reach out to me or David. Now, the last question I ask, I ask everybody, this is a fun one. This has nothing to do with dentistry. Um, if you had the ability to go to any place or time, where would you go and why? Any place or time? Yeah. Go back in time, go. Wow. He got me on that one. There's the fun funny, one. But, but re- more, most recently, um, I, I visited um, Zion National Park. Uh, I, I would like to go to another national park before anybody's been there and then just kind of like if i was at the grand canyon just kind of walk up on the rim and just see that before anybody else had seen it so it would be the grand canyon and be there before other people have gotten there but i know and then somehow star trek wise zoom me out of there when i wanted to leave and come back to where i am now because i I love where I am now, but I would love to scheme the country when it was raw and nobody was here yet. And, and what it must have felt like to see that for the first time. That would just be amazing. So unfiltered and unedited view <laughs> for the first time. I love it. That's beautiful. That's, yeah. that's a great yeah. way. So we'll wrap this up again, David, thank you for your time. I really appreciate that. I, I know that you and I will continue speaking because I really appreciate all, all that you've done and said, and I really have, uh, I really have a great vibe talking to you. So I appreciate Thank, Thank you, Sonny. And it's been an honor and uh, appreciate again, what you are doing with the fee for service uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the fee for service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.